Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McCartney, a teacher at the People's Improv Theater here in New York City and a member of Centralia Improv. On today's Centralia Improv podcast, I sit one-on-one with the incredible actor, Michael Shannon. Michael and I knew each other in Chicago in the 90s. And we've stayed in touch ever since. And I've watched his career become something almost supernatural. He has uh, 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 been nominated for an Oscar several times, been nominated for a Tony several times. If you don't know who I'm talking about, then you really need to watch things because he's been in a lot and you'll never forget him. Uh, Nine Perfect Strangers, most recently on Hulu, Nocturnal Animals. On stage, he's been in uh, Long Day's Journey Into Night with Jessica Lange, um, and most recently, Frankie and Johnny at the Claire de Lune. Two years ago, Mike did a show with the improv legend Dave Pasquese at the People's Improv Theater, and now we are very happy to welcome him on the podcast. The following podcast is in no way related to Centralia, Pennsylvania. And now, direct from New York City, an island off the coast of America, it's the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. Well, it's been an intense weekend, Pat. An intense weekend with the bomb cyclone. Um, Yes. Are you uh, trapped inside? Well, I've just been out walking around all morning, actually. I just walked my friend Guy Van Swearingen to the subway. Oh, are you in Chicago? Uh, no, no, I'm in New York. He was here. He was oh, here wow. because he's on a television program, and they had a premiere for the television program, and he came to the party. But then he got stuck here because of the bomb cyclone. So he spent the night last night, and then I walked him to the subway this morning. He's on his way to JFK. So to go back to Chicago. Yes. Guy and Mike, you is this fair to say? And, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you both started a Red Orchid Theater in Chicago. Yeah, a Red Orchid Theater was uh yeah, it was, it was Guy's brainchild largely. I I was there to assist. Um but yeah, Guy started a theater cuz he was a firefighter and um he always had a hard time getting parts at theaters because of his firefighting schedule. So he kind of thought if he started his own theater, they would just have to work around his schedule because it's his theater. So that's kind of, that was the impetus for the whole thing. Yeah. Mike, uh, you're uh, Mike Shannon. For those of you that don't know is, um, is an actor. uh, Provocateur. A provocateur. A hand model. Hand model. A, a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did wrestle Jimmy Fallon on his show in a, in our matching Alvin onesies. You you wrestled Jimmy Fallon on his show? <laughs> I hope you kicked his fucking ass. Did you win? Did you pin him? No, I didn't win. Um, well, I kind of sprung the whole thing on him. I, he didn't really know what was going to happen. So I felt like I needed to to let him prevail in the end because he was a real he was a real sport about it as he should be mike shannon comes on your show and wants to wrestle you fucking wrestle yeah 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 isn't that in your do you have a writer it says like little clauses mike if i want to come on and wrestle you fucking wrestle 
I just like wanna... to keep people on their toes. You know, I don't, I don't want to plan. Yeah, man. I don't want to plan anything out. I just want to like su- surprise. Life should just be one big surprise. Fuck yeah. You know, when I when I um, use you as an example to my students, I say that you're the kind of actor that does it all. Like, especially theater. You always come back to the theater. And you know um, what's kind of sad and interesting at the same time is Richard Christensen just died. I know, man, I know. That guy made me. Yeah. He made me. I remember the review. I remember I was living in... Uh, Wicker Park, and a review came out of a play called Fun. What was it called? It was Fun and Nobody. Mm-hmm. Fun and Nobody, directed by the great Dexter Bullard. Mm-hmm. And you were this, and that like review. Everybody was talking about it. I saw it in the paper, and I was like, "Holy shit! This is a guy that is for real." That review was that was a big deal to get reviewed by Richard Christensen, especially. Um, yeah, and the first I, time he saw me, he wasn't so impressed. He kind of was broke, that he broke my little heart. But then the second time, he said, "You know, this kid's a little rough around the edges, but boy, oh boy!" Uh, the first time it was this play called uh, "Winter Set" by Maxwell Anderson, who wrote uh, Key Largo and some mm. other things. Uh, it was some really <clears throat> arcane play that. Written in blank verse, and uh, it was—I I, love doing it, but it was out in the sticks. It was out at like Illinois Theater Center or something. And he came and saw it, and he said, "Oh, this kid's just lost. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing." But um, uh, yeah, how old were you? Twelve? Yeah, I was. Yeah, no, I was. Uh, what was I? I think I might have been sixteen or seventeen. No, no, he was quite. He was quite right, actually. I had no idea what I was doing, but um. But I, whatever. But they, I gotta, this isn't I gotta, about me. It's yeah. about him. God bless him. God also, bless him is right. He made that Killer no. Joe a big hit, you know? <clears throat> he was the only critic oh. in Chicago that, that gave Killer Joe a, a, a rave review. All the other critics that came to see it said it was a horrible, nasty, evil, disgusting. No one should see it. Stay away in droves. But Christian wow. was like, ah, I kind of liked it. And then we ran for eight months. Killer Joe was uh, a play by Tracy Letts, a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright and a friend of yours. Um, and it was, was his, was that his, that was his first play, right? His first, I believe, produced play, certainly in Chicago, it's first, yeah. And it ran at no exit. No, uh, no, no oh, exit. Was we did improv. Uh, we were at the next theater, the next lab which was up at the Noise Cultural Arts Center. The next theater, I don't believe, is around anymore. But they had a, okay. they had a main stage, and then they had a little lab, which was like a basically a, a room that they painted black, the proverbial black box. Right. Yeah, that's where we did it, yeah. And you played Chris. Yeah, Chris Smith, yeah. Um, and Paul Dillon played Killer Joe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that play was a huge hit. You ran for eight months, and then that play went on to New York, and then London, uh, London, and it made. Would you say that play was sort of the thing that launched you into the stratosphere, or began to launch you into the? Consciousness? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we were doing the play in New York, that's when I started. I mean, everybody was coming to see it. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And um, then after that, I started getting, I mean, I had been getting a little bit of camera stuff in Chicago, but nothing to write home about. But that's when, yeah, that's when it started getting a little nutty. You also were improvising, and this is an improv podcast. Uh, we love improv. Uh, you got, you were improvising. So you were, hold on, let me just back up. So you were from Kentucky. Yeah. And your dad was a professor at DePaul? Yeah, that's why I started coming to Chicago. When I was five, my dad got a, a job uh, at DePaul. He taught in the business school, the MBA school. Right. And uh, he was there from the time I was five until he until he passed. He taught there. So that's how I wound up in Chicago. I would come visit him. And eventually I lived with him when I was a teenager for a little bit. And then uh, and then I just stayed. Yeah. And then your was your mom in Kentucky? Yeah, my mom's still there. She, oh, still in Lexington, Kentucky, sitting in her little house by herself. I and, don't mean to bring it down, but that's what she's doing. I get it. And then you, so when, so I was reading, did you drop out of high school? I did twice. I dropped out <laughs> and then I, I went back because I thought I might've made a mistake. And then, uh, and then I dropped out again. So when were you like, I have to, like, you're born, like some people are just like this, this guy's born to be an actor. When were you aware of that? Like when, when did you just know this was the thing? Well, it's weird. Cause when I was in high school, <clears throat> I was not particularly uh, successful in the uh, drama, drama department. Like there were mm -hmm. other people ahead of me. Mm -hmm. I would audition for the plays and, you know, not get cast or I'd be on the speech team doing my little scene and, you know, losing, coming in last place or whatever. I would, there mm -hmm. were not a lot of like encouragements uh, right. in that, in that zone. And then when the first time I dropped out of high school, <clears throat> I went and I auditioned for a play and I got cast. And about two or three weeks into rehearsal, they, they shit canned me because they said that um, I didn't I didn't have enough experience. I had some wow. or I had some raw talent, but I needed more training. So they fired me. So then I thought, well, maybe I should go back to high school. But what really gave me my little boost the the wind the wind under my proverbial wings was uh, mm -hmm. when I went back to Evanston Township High School and I uh, I landed the role of Baptista Manola in Taming of the Shrew the father of the Shrew mm -hmm. uh, it was a it was a, the Wild West uh, production you know so I was wearing chaps and a fake mustache and all that mm -hmm. and a cowboy hat and um, that's the only Shakespeare I've ever done in my life but. I did that, and um, that kind of kind of gave me a little bit of confidence to enough confidence to drop out of high school again and uh, pursue my dream slash nightmare of becoming uh, an actor. And your your father was supportive. He was he was he was <laughs> no. I mean, he was he. Look, my dad was begging me to go because being a tenured professor at DePaul, yeah, all of his children are allowed to go there free of tuition. Right. Um, he was begging me. He's like, look, please just go. The Paul is one of the best theater schools in the country. Right. I'm like, dad, why would I go to theater school when I'm already doing plays in the city? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Do you feel, uh, did you have any 
teachers yeah along the way that really kind of who uh, who are they and, and how did they affect you well there was a woman okay so when i started out in chicago and this is probably the same for you pat um there were th the three janes the casting right. directors three janes there was jane heights jane alderman and jane brody and, right um heights did mostly commercials i guess i didn't run into her much but um but I got along real well with Jane Brody and she taught, she taught acting too. And I was in, she let me do her class. Um, she didn't charge me anything cause she knew I was broke. And, um, right. I, I loved her. I still, to this day, I'm very, um, grateful for her. Um, and she uses a book called audition, the Michael Shirtleff book, mm -hmm. the 13 guidepost or whatever. But she's also, she just knows, uh, she does, she does, she leans, she falls back on that, but she kind of knows what's what just instinctually. But, um, yeah, I, I really adore her and, uh, but no, a lot of it was just trial by fire. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, that was sort of the Chicago way. It was just do stuff in front of people and it either hits or it fails miserably like when we or, that play that we did together clarence darrow in hell yes i have no idea what people thought of that play but i know what i thought of that play what um i didn't know what was going on in that play <laughs> <laughs> and i sat there for like 20 minutes as walt whitman super into the idea that i wasn't going to move for however long I was sitting there as Walt Whitman. I was so proud of myself for not moving. And then I played Sharon on the River Sticks. <laughs> so Mike and I did a play together in Bucktown. What was the name of that theater? Talisman. So this is Chicago in the 90s. Most of the guests that I talked to, I, I knew back in Chicago in the 90s. Um, the, what was it called? The, oh, the Talisman Theater, right. And the... I thought the director was pretty cool. I can't remember. Michael. He was a Michael, too. I believe yeah. his name was Michael. Yeah. And those were a bunch. That's funny because those were a bunch of DePaul actors. Yeah. Patrick Dollymore. And yeah. Oh, that real pompous dude that played. Uh, yeah. Played uh, Dante. Yes, dude. Yes. Dan, yes, Dan Tomko. And we were both, you and I were both sort of, I was kicked out of acting conservatory SUNY purchase and you were just and they, I think you were 17 at the time I remember you telling me that and I was like holy moly I used to hang out at your apartment we listen to pixie records we listened to the pixies we listened to teenage fan club yeah yeah I remember those days you wore this big old cowboy hat <laughs> maybe I stole <laughs> took it from uh, Tammy of the Shrew ah that's funny. Holding on to it. I don't know. I don't know how I came by a large cowboy hat. That's weird. So when are you? So when do you do that thing that was so much a part of our DNA in Chicago, which is find improv, and start start doing it? Well, let's see. When did that start? Um, I think it might have coincided with Killer Joe because um, Paul Dillon and Tracy Letts were part of this um, group called Bang Bang, 
Uh, right. They refer to themselves as spontaneous theater. They didn't want to call it improv because they thought that Im anything labeled improv uh, instantly um, was hacked. created an expectation of comedy. And they, they didn't want it to be... Uh. Uh, they didn't want any boundaries, you know. They, they, they kept insisting that the point wasn't just to be funny. You could do whatever. Um, you could do drama. You could do weird abstract stuff that didn't make any sense. I mean, you could go up there and stand like a flamingo if you wanted. You could do whatever, whatever rattled into your brain at that point in time. And so Bang Bang was kind of an interesting thing because it started out pretty small. It was Kevin Scott and... Uh, yep. A fellow named Tim Beamish and Paul. I think when it started out, it was Ed Schmerin. There was only like four or five people in it. There was one woman, I can't remember her name, Jane. I think Jane was her name. And then um, I think largely because of Paul uh, and Tracy, they kept bringing people on board. So it went from being this tiny group at the No Exit to at, at one point we were on the main stage at remains and there was like 30 people in there. I remember, I remember going to see it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at, at the remains, the remains was a theater in Chicago and another, um, actor who I just saw was, was talking about Richard Christensen. William Peterson was sort of, was a remains member. But what were the, what were the remains? They were sort of like the, second child to Steppenwolf? Yeah, I mean, they were their own thing. They were their yeah. own thing, you know. I mean, they're, they're, everyone knows Steppenwolf, but there's just so many other theaters in Chicago, you know. Yeah. Mains. There used to be one called Wisdom Bridge. It was good, yeah. of course. Uh, yeah, I don't know who decided to start Remains. Um, I don't know if it was Billy or, I mean, there were other people. Like Amy Morton was in Remains. Right. Before, now she's obviously in the step on um, some other like mammoth type, like DB Sweeney, maybe, or right. some sort of mammoth connection. I think they did a few mammoth plays. I mean, that I, I saw Billy Peterson do American Buffalo at Remains. Oh, with, yeah, uh, I remember with Larry about Brandenburg that. and uh, Kevin Hurley. Kevin Hurley oh, yeah. was in the company. Um, I saw a Chicago conspiracy trial there. Right. I thought a lot about that production when this Aaron Sorkin thing came out because everybody was like, "Are you gonna see that?" I'm like, "Why would I?" I saw it. I saw it in Chicago. Who wrote the Who wrote the play in Chicago? I really think it was it's the transcripts, pretty much. Oh, I think they yeah. were performing the transcripts. Right, and Pasquazi was in that. Yeah, Pasquazi played Abby Hoffman. Right. And Tracy, Tracy was in that? I think he came into it. I don't think he was in the original cast. It ran for a long time. I mean, Pasquazi right. wasn't in it the whole time. They did that. They mm -hmm. ran that thing into the ground. Del Close was fucking in that show. Right. Del was in it. Yeah. The, 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 the God. Our the God. Del Close. That's right. Did you ever study with Del? No, but I used to see him eat at that little Middle Eastern restaurant in Belmont. I would walk by, he'd be sitting in there, it was called like Desert Treat or something. And he'd always sit at the same <laughs> table in the window and with a book and eat like, you know, falafel or something. And every time I walked by, I saw him like, who the hell is that guy? That's like the most, that's the most interesting looking human being I've ever seen in my life. 
but I never yeah, see. Did you see that? Did you see the documentary about him? No, you know, I, I haven't. Sharna's like trying to every once in a while tries to get me to consider playing him in a movie, and I'm like, I, I can't. I can. Oh yeah, James Urbaniak played him in the in the documentary. Uh, in the documentary, yeah, it was sort of like there was. There was like you see Dell and I think Matt Walsh was in it and yeah James Urbaniak yeah you'd be great as Dell I see James more James kids but does James even know who Dell is James that's a good question it's hard to watch people I think James was a New York guy yeah so when you want whenever I see anybody even talk about Dell that's not that wasn't in Chicago at that time I always think mm, this is inauthentic. Right, but he's a great actor, James Urbaniak, and he was just fine. It's hard to cast Dell, but you would be a great Dell. I I never even thought about that. Yeah, did you Charlotte study was... with them? I did. Yeah, I studied with him a lot. I would go back and forth because he was he was sort of the last class, and you know it was like the it was like three levels and then Dell and then so I would take his class. I took his class initially for weeks and then I would do plays and then I would go back and take his class and he would be working on something else entirely. Um, I think the last time I took his class, we were just behaving like Neanderthals for three hours. Yeah. Wow. He would give you very like, so it wasn't just like go up, do a set and talk about it. Yeah. No, he was always experimenting always. I mean, as far as I, my experience with him, it was always like, let's move past the Herald. Yeah. Let's find something new. You know, let's break it. Let's expand it. Let's see what else we can find. Which I, I think a lot of people don't even, aren't even aware of now. Um, there's so many set forms in improv. When I came back into it, there was just so many very rigid set forms that were born out of just... Harold. I mean, it all came from Harold, but they were almost too rigid. Um, well, it gets commodified, you know. Yeah. Because uh, it starts making money. Anytime something starts making money. Yeah. People, for some reason, are like, well, how do we make sure that happens every time? So do you have any, what was your, tell me your favorite um, improv memory. Oh, dear Lord. Tell me your least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I have a lot. Yeah. It's some I don't know. There's something about to be said for just coming up with something uh just in the spur of the moment that becomes like a classic thing that people are still talking about right way beyond after the fact. Cuz most improv even if it's like entertaining and you're seeing you're like, "Oh, I'm having so much fun." Like a week later, you're you're not, you're not, you're, it's not burned into your memory forever. You know, you're like, oh yeah, it was something right. about truckers. I don't know, something happened. But every yeah. once in a while, you actually come up with something, that, and and it can be the stupidest thing, but it's just people remember it. Like I did this thing once, at no exit, and I went up and I started, and I just went up on stage with like a cup of coffee. And I said, you know, life's been hard for me recently. Um, I've been uh, out of work for a while and I've been going on a, a number of interviews 
been trying to get a job, but unfortunately, uh, every time I go into the interview, I, I have a hard time because, and I took a sip of the coffee and I said, because I'm a dribbler. And then I just, the coffee just went down the front of my shirt and, and I've never heard people laugh so hard in their lives. Um, <laughs> and, and then it's like, and it's totally stupid, but then, you know, it could be like, you guys, Kevin, I think Kevin Scott was there that night. I'm sure he was. You remember when Mike did the dribbler? And I'll be like, oh yeah, the dribbler. It's just how some <laughs> random, stupid, idiotic thing you come up with becomes like, um, or, you know, the same thing like, because when I was, I just did this play, Frankie and Johnny. Well, the last play I did was Frankie and Johnny and Claire. Frankie Luna. and Johnny at the Claire Luna. I saw it on Broadway. You were fucking amazing in it. Thank you. And 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 the guy in the play imitates the cheeseburger skit from SNL. Right. And so I used to watch that, and Belushi doing that. And I'm like, this right. is the dumbest, stupidest freaking thing I've ever seen in my life. And it's so funny. Like you could just yeah. listen to him say cheeseburger over and over and over and over again. Yeah, it's funny. That's probably one of the most referenced yeah. sketches, probably by people who even haven't seen it. Just cheeseburger, cheeseburger, yeah. cheeseburger. And and you know, that's all just him like making fun of like some guy that works at Billy Goat Tavern. Yeah, yeah. Billy Goat Tavern is uh is that still around? It's it is, what, yeah. downtown, right? Yeah. What's a ta what's a rough experience? Do you remember any? Like, oh my God, because improv can be gloriously rewarding, but also absolutely disastrous. There's no, I like what uh, Mick Napier says, where you're, where you're, you're, you know, the process is the product. Right. And the process, uh, you're watching people in process. And sometimes the process is, is rough. I, I think I have the luxury, I, I perhaps have the luxury of not, I, if, if if all that happens when I'm up on stage with some other people is some long, meandering, nightmarish, boring crap, I'm yeah. I, I'm at peace with that. Like, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't mean the end of my career or anything. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. That's right, kind right. of maybe a luxury because this is kind of this isn't my main, my main bag. You know, but it's yeah. Boy, does it help me! It it helps me do my my day job really well. Like, and I that's the thing. It's been a real blessing for me, and I'm very appreciative of is that I can apply the improv and whatever I've learned doing it uh, to to like if I'm filming something how how do you how do you why well, improvise i improvise and i tend to because i've done it before be able to do it well enough so that if the writer's there they're like oh yeah that's actually i like that they're not like can you just stick to my lines please they're like oh my god you just made that better and i'm like it's yeah. funny because when you do plays when you um, do plays you can't do that no that's right. a big no-no in plays but for yeah. some reason on a on a set uh Cause you know, unless you're working with like Robert Town or something, it's like the writing's not, it's not you know Shakespeare, and they know yeah. that you know, and they, and you massage it a little bit, you come up with something, you know, and, and you just try and make it more like interesting. 
and you're I just, feel like I'm I'm able to do that because I spent so much time doing improv uh, in Chicago. Yeah, and you still do it. You did a uh, you've been doing shows with Dave Pasquazi, who everybody references on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, he's a Hall mm. of Famer. Yeah, he's totally, he's a Hall of Famer for sure. Is there an improv Hall of Fame? There should be. There is, and it's uh, Dave Pesquese, Del Close, and Amy Poehler. Yeah. And Kevin Dorf. What about T.J. Jagodowski? And T.J. Jagodowski. And... You're you're on the threshold. I'm right on the cusp. Custodian. I'm a custodian. I work the door. I'm like the... I'm the host. I greet people, and they come in, and I get make sure they have a good seat. Yeah. What so about Scott Adsit? Yeah. Scott Adsit, yes, of course, Scott Adsit. So many great fucking improvisers. Uh, Adsit, uh, McKay is was a great improviser. Oh, yeah. UCB back in the day. You know, UCB, one of the first shows they did was at Red Orchid. They rented Red Orchid. Really? What show was that? I don't know. I didn't even see it. Guy saw it. He thought it was funny. But there was, like, not many people there because nobody really knew where they were. Yeah, they were renting Mary Archie. Yeah, they would rent and... these little storefront theaters. Yeah, how is things? Are are you you're still obviously involved with the Red Orchid? Uh, you're what? And it's high, hugely successful. You know, it's funny you were talking about uh, the Janes. I had uh, Marianne Thebus was um was sort of that for me in Chicago. That woman that uh helped me, inspired me. And she was talking about all the place, places she had worked all over Chicago. But the one place she said she'd never got a chance to work, which she would love to have worked at, was a Red Orchid Theater. Oh, that's a drag. Because we did a play she actually would have been really amazing for. Mm, maybe she wasn't available when we did it. It was a while ago. But anyway, yeah, I love Marianne Thebus. Yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah, I'm going to Red Orchid uh, next weekend. They finally they, they opened a show. It's the first show... Uh, in the theater since COVID started. So it's a wow. pretty big deal. It's a show yeah. we were going to do like over two years ago. And now they're finally doing it. And uh, so far, knock on wood, uh, they haven't had to uh, shut it down. You know, and it's tricky in our theater because it's pretty small and airless. So it's kind of like a Petri dish for right airborne illness. But uh, somehow they're managing to get through well, thank God you made it through COVID. So many places didn't make it. So many small theaters in New York City, especially. Yeah. Well, we had the luxury of having a very low overhead because, like, when we're closed, we're just closed. I mean, as long as we can pay the rent, which isn't too high, um, we can just sit there. We don't. It's not like we had a huge staff or a bunch of people to pay off or whatever. And you guys, did you guys do stuff virtually? I know I couldn't truck with that, man. I I tried. It was yeah. amazing how quickly that started happening. Like, I remember COVID, the shutdown started in like March. And then, like, two weeks later, like, okay, let's do monologues online. I'm like, what? Yeah. I'm like, let's, let's wait a hot second. But I tried. I, I did like a monologue for the 24 hour monologue thing or whatever. And yeah. I was like, this, this just doesn't feel right to me. I don't like it. But you must be teaching online. I was, and it was, uh, in the beginning, I was like, there's, I mean, I was teaching improv. And I was like, there's, 
I can't do this. It's just never going to work. And then <clears throat> by mid lockdown, it was a necessity. I mean, there was a lot of people and they were making it work. And just the connection people needed. Play, play, connect, play, connect, get lost for however many hours. Right. And it was great, but um, I would, I, I honestly, I would, every time, I like I'll do like a corporate gig or something, and it's it just kind of depresses me when I have to do it back now. Yeah. But there's some actors I know and, and improvisers that also couldn't deal with it. They were like, no, I can't do it. Yeah. yeah I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I saw you did something for Piven's Theater, Sheer Piven. Oh. Our, yeah, with Ed, Ad, was it Ed Asner? Oh, oh my God. Yeah, that's the last time I saw it. Rest, may he rest in peace. Yeah, may he rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit of a debacle, but if I, I hey, it was worth it to hang out with Ed Asner a little bit longer, I guess. But, uh, man, that was rough. That was a. Was it? I think that was the last time I attempted to do anything like that on the internet. Uh, but yeah, I'm done with this. Yeah. But I also have been uh, working. Um, uh, I mean, are you back in person now in class? Oh, yeah. I've been back in person since uh, for a while, since June. Oh, nice. We, we, we just plowed. We just was like, we were just going to open. And once it was back in person, isn't that just like, I mean, just the idea that we almost lost the theater and then came back into a theater for me was, I try and think to myself every time I walk into a theater, I'm never going to take this for granted again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That is a really strong point. I haven't done a play since Frank and Johnny. I have, I, this is the longest I've ever gone in my life without doing a play. Other than, wow. you know, my, when I was a toddler, I guess. But um, yeah, I, uh, this is the longest I've ever gone uh, without doing a play. It's kind of doing a number on my head. But the first performance in Red Orchid um, since COVID started uh, was actually me and Dave did uh, two nights. So, uh, right. To, uh, that was kind of like a benefit to raise money for the place. Right. So me and Dave, Dave went in there. Dave best crazy just improvised. We just went in there and made some shit up for a couple of nights, and that yeah. kind of filled the coffers up to pay the rent for a little bit longer. And then, uh, yeah, now now they're up with like an official actual play. But that was the first I like, quote unquote performance. But I have yet to do uh, a play. Um, are you itching to do one? Do you have one in mind? Yeah, there's a couple of plays I really, really want to do. Unfortunately, they're both happening at the same time in the fall here in New York. But um, I'm trying to see if maybe I can do both of them. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm in the middle of this job right now. It's kind of... The job in North Carolina? <clears throat> can, you, can you talk about that? Oh, yeah, sure. Sure, yeah. I'm doing... Uh, well, it's a mini series called George and Tammy. That's about, wait for it, George mm -hmm. Jones and Tammy Wynette. What? Yeah. The king and queen of country. The title is misleading. It is. You think it's going to be about like some 
manager at the Waffle House and right and a and a and a hostess who likes yeah who likes the hostess yeah no it's uh, George and Tammy yeah man. so when you're I am doing playing George like... Jones which makes uh, very little sense on any <laughs> but people you're ask definitely... me to do things I say no then they ask me again <clears throat> I say are you crazy you're one of those actors that's like so good you could play anybody like well the Elvis thing of course um, it was a similar situation. I yeah. told the people, I said, you realize I have very little in common with Elvis. They said, that's okay. I Here's said, I don't look like him. I don't sound like him. I don't sing like him. Nothing. They're like, eh, it's okay. okay. We'll put a wig on you. You'll be all right. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Is that what, so when you get a part like George Jones, do you... How would you, what would you say your approach is as an actor? What, what do you do? What is Michael Shannon's technique? Or has it changed and evolved over the years? You know, I wish I had some highfalutin answer to that question. But like, I'm, the I'm first thing I do is I get all the books. I mean, the man, apparently, although depending on who you talk to, some people think he didn't write it, but he wrote an autobiography, a book about his life, or he sat right. down and read said it to some dude who typed it out for him and um so i read that i'm like oh great here's the guy telling me all about himself and then other people wrote books his daughter wrote a book tammy obviously wrote a book then other people wrote books about him mm -hmm. then you got this groovy thing called youtube where you can go and like watch him being interviewed and you can watch him sing and dance and do all that and then uh well, he doesn't dance much, but you can see him. You can see him. Yeah. Uh, you can see him a lot. And then, um, and then you know, people like Ken Burns make a 20-part documentary about country music. You watch as much of that as you can humanly tolerate. And then, um, and then you start looking at the scripts and say, well, what, what's the story? What, what, what aspect? You know, the trouble with these music biopics is they're just... Uh, it's overwhelming. There's too much to cram into. You can't tell the whole story. There's right. not enough room for it. So you have to you have to focus. You have to say, well, we're going to tell this part of the story. Right. Like the week they met or the week they got a divorce. I was hoping actually, yeah, to make it feel kind of like that. Like six events throughout the course of And it's, it's kind of like that. It's still a little... I don't know. It's kind of like that. Right. Each each episode is is the title of each episode is one of their songs. And the, so who's playing? Let me just who's playing Tammy? Why not? By the way, it is. I know everyone thinks it's why it's Winnet. Oh my bad, Winnet. I I thought the same thing, um, but it's, it's, I I've I've heard it both ways, but apparently it's Winnet. Um, uh, Jessica Chastain is playing Tammy Winnet. Right on. Well, that's a great actor. Yeah, she's, 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 and she's been attached to this project for a very long time. Uh, this, this thing has been over 10 years in the making. It's been, wow. at some point it was going to be a movie. It went through various, you know, things start and fall apart. And I don't know. But now it's finally happened. Yes. So watch out world. 
Got that to look forward to. George and Tammy. Yeah. About a Waffle House scandal. The manager of a Waffle House and the hostess fall in love. When's the last time you ate at a Waffle House? Uh, I think I've only eaten at a Waffle House once in my life. On a road trip? Yeah, on a road trip. And I did it because I felt I had to. I did not like it. I used to like Denny's a lot, but not Waffle House. I couldn't get into it. Not a waffle guy. Well, it's kind of dreary. It Very dreary. Yes, that was the feeling I had. Dreary. It was dreary and syrupy. Sugary, syrupy. Dreary and, and syrupy. Uh, the only syrup for me is real. Real syrup. I can't eat the fake shit. That log cabin stuff. Oh. Oh, it's just fucking sugar. It's just sugar. It's just sugar. It's poison. Poison. Fucking poison. Yeah. High fructose corn syrup. The downfall of civilization. So you're watching all these videos on George Jones. And then when does it become, when are you like, I am him? Or are you ever like, I am him? Or are you just like, all right, I have some of his mannerisms. So what, what's the sort of rest of the, when are you just relaxed into the idea that you are going to walk on set and be George Jones? You know, it's just, it's the mentality is kind of like, well, it's my name on the call sheet. Um, nobody else is going to show up and do it. So, right. Um, and you wind up focusing more on the story. It's really because like, that's the interesting part of it. It's not about mm -hmm. like my impersonation. I mean, right. you know, if the, the vocal coach said something to me. He said it's so interesting because it's like it's like him, but it's still you. You're not like trying to hide all the way, but you're doing your um, your due diligence to him. But you're also like incorporating yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, and on an external level, George and I don't really have much in common, but in internally, we we have some common commonalities. But I think you'll find that you know, with a lot of human beings, I mean, right. uh, if you're an actor, that you need to be able to at least relate to as many people as you can. So, but yeah, me and George uh, have similar some similarities. Like, we both just can't use enough hairspray. We, just, <laughs> we never get tired of hairspray. Like the classic old school. This is in my dressing room. Aquanet, fucking, yeah. You got good hair, Mike. You got good hair, and so did he. What else? What else? What else? Oh, we're just both really sad. Really sad people. Sadness. Really? Yeah. I don't want to get into it. I'll start with All right. It's, All right. It's too, it's too much. So you've been nominated twice for an Academy Award? Jesus. I remember um, watching as Christopher Walken. So you did this movie, Revolutionary Road, which was, um, as far as, you know, I, I've... I knew you when I was uh, in my twenties, and then you had this. You've had this incredible career. You're an incredible, talented actor and dedicated craftsman. And then the Oscars, and then and Revolutionary Road, which is this wonderful movie. And you have this 
incredible part. Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet. Um, I remember my parents seeing and asking me who that guy was. (laughs) 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 And I had to, you know, convince them that I, in fact, uh, knew you back in the day. Uh, And then Christopher Walken, there's like this thing at the Oscars where it's like, the Oscar winner from the year before? What happened there? Tell me about Oh, yeah. Well, it's just, well, just five people throughout history that had won the Best Supporting oh. Actor. So each nominee got a sweet introduction from a past winner. Um, I think wow. they only did that for one year. I think that was a one, one and done thing. That was a fucking good year to be there. You had Christopher... Oh, you had already worked with Christopher Walken, well, right? Well, uh, yeah, I... Briefly on Kangaroo Jack. Yeah, he played my adopted father. Yeah. What's that like for you as an act? I mean, I, I would imagine, like, when you were a young actor, were there people you looked up to? And if there were, was one of them yeah. Christopher Walken? Yeah, no, that was uh, that was nuts. I mean, and, you know, they you're kind of like, well, all these things are scripted, you know, they're just reading off a cue card or something, but I don't know. I kind of felt like he meant it. Oh, fuck. Yeah. He meant it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was sincere. I remember thinking the same thing. Like he was gushing over you. That was crazy. It was beautiful. I I can, I can, it was hard. I, I wish I think I went into a state of shock a little bit. I don't know if I absorbed it as much as uh, it's one of those things that was. A, you wish you could rewind it and have it happen again. Right. I was, I was surprised by it, and it started, and then I just started seeing stars and going, "I can." I don't remember oh what you said or anything, but but yeah, were, boy, that was beautiful. You also got to work with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes, I did. As an actor, and he also directed you in a... Now, tell me how... Stephen Adley Garris. Yeah, Gerges, yeah. Gerges play. I'm a big fan of his plays. Um, the play you did of his, I honestly can say I've never read. Oh, uh, I don't um, wonder if it's published. It's weird. It's, uh, it, well, it's a very personal play for him. It's about him, kind of based on him and his, and his mom. Um, What's it called again? Uh, the Little Flower of East Orange. Right. So you're doing this play at the Public in New York, and Philip Seymour Hoffman is directing. Yes, yes. He he directed all of Stephen's plays until he right. passed away, unfortunately. Um, yeah. He, him and Stephen were were very close. Yeah. Right. And um, yeah, Phil is an incredible director. Uh, very demanding. Um, as demanding, so? uh, well, you know, because I think he's very demanding of himself. Uh, when he, when he worked, he uh, always said he could go deeper, you know, get closer to the, you yeah. know, it was all about pain. I mean, he, he was, a, he was a man who suffered a great deal, even when he yeah. was healthy and um, sober and all that. He just, right. he was a man who's. I mean, and I, don't get me wrong, I'm not like his best friend or anything. I, I'm just speaking from the brief time I spent with him. But he, right. That was his uh, his currency. 
also an actor that did a lot of things um do you do you ever feel because you do a lot of things mike you 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 improvise you you're doing a movie you want to do a play do you ever get that feeling that you're being overextended or do you just do you just like are just like i cannot breathe unless i'm constantly creative well you also have kids and a wife the whole thing yeah um yeah i don't know um It's interesting. I mean, some people, I guess, I've heard from time to time over the years that perhaps uh, I'm a workaholic, but I don't, I, 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 I really enjoy a day with nothing to do. I, I, I really do. I, yeah, I can, okay. I can, I can uh, fill it quite easily. Um, so I, um, it's just m more a matter of, um, just uh, there's a lot you know for whatever dumb reason in my life there's a lot of people call up and ask me to do things and um and so i wind up being uh busy a lot of the time but i don't i don't um i could i could i i i'm i'm curious about being less busy definitely curious about it i don't i don't <laughs> think I, would, I don't think i'd have like a nervous breakdown or something <laughs> I think I can handle it. I mean, you know, the first four months of COVID, I didn't do shit, jack shit. My my big event every day was taking a walk in the park. You know, that was, and I loved it. I walk all around Prospect Park, mm -hmm. and I'd walk in the trees and stuff, stay off the path, you know, avoid people. Right. It almost felt like being in the wilderness, close enough, and uh, yeah, so. But then, then after four months of that, you know, it's kind of like maybe, uh, maybe I need to get back in the saddle somehow. So I did. Yeah, I was lucky. I got to go to Australia and do a show down there. Really? That's where Kate Kate's in. Uh, Kate Walsh is in Perth doing. Oh, plays. really? Yeah, yeah. I was on yeah. the other side. I was in Byron Bay. What would you do? That's where we shot this. Series uh, nine oh. strangers. Oh my god, you were so fucking good in that. Oh, thanks, Patrick. Oh yeah, that monologue. I texted you after I watched that monologue about your son. Oh. so you shot that in Australia? Yeah, that was the first job I did post COVID. Yeah, was nine perfect strangers. Yeah, that, that was, was after four months of sitting around the house. Yeah. So Nine Perfect Strangers was a show on Hulu with Nicole Kimmon, Michael Shannon. Uh, oh, yeah. What's his name? Bobby Cannavale. Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Regina Paul. Um, yes, such a wonderful cast. And so the acting was just so good. Uh, you know, it was funny. Your character had a CPAP machine. Yeah. I was wondering if that was your specific or if that was no that's in the book that's uh yeah but i um, yeah i could probably use a cpap machine i should have taken it from the props you should have because they're fucking hard to get man i had to go through like a whole fucking research study to get mine yeah man they're they're but they they save lives i don't know they, they you get yeah. apnea you can't breathe right yeah, I would wake up. It, uh, yeah, it was brutal. I was way. I was way, My dog would it was waking me up. Because um, it sounds like you're dying. Apparently, I think you kind of are. 
like I think you're you're stopping stopping breathing. Yeah, so those kind of specifics, do you dress your your own character when you when you walk into a movie are you like I got this or are you going to be I'm willing to look at however you want to wear address me? Yeah, no, I take all the collaboration I can get. Yeah. People's ideas, like uh, I'm totally down for that. Like this costume designer on George and Tammy Mitchell, he's phenomenal and he's done so much research. And he has to come up with all these outfits, and it's not easy because there's a, a lot of different looks and it goes through different decades. And, and George was a really flashy guy. Um, he liked clothes. So, uh, but yeah. this, guy's, this guy's killing it. And then uh, it helps me out, it inspires me. You know, the, right. The work that those people do inspires me to work hard. So, yeah, I don't mind. I don't, I'm not, I'm definitely not a, control freak about that uh, aspect of it and what about your girls do they your your celebrity is you know you're very well-known dude and very well respected what's it like you have two girls how old are they uh 13 and 8 yeah what's it like for them are they are they happy or do they know what daddy does they do they do but you know around the house i'm just any old do they ever see you in your in uh, Killer Joe or Nocturnal Animals? I don't know. Well, I don't. They they've seen some stuff I've done, uh, some films, um, yeah. but they're not. Um, they'd rather watch, you know, a, a baking show or something. Great British Bake Off. You should be. You should do that show. You should go on the Great Great British. Bake -off. <laughs> Just to add another thing. Yeah. To your schedule, baking. No, it's um, it's pretty low key. I mean, I think, I think they like their mom better. I don't blame her either. She's, She's an, an actress. actress. She is. Yeah. 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 yeah Kate. Kate Harrington. And did you guys meet in a play? Oh, um, well, we met time? in Chicago. We saw each other doing plays in Chicago. And, um, mm hmm. I guess when we started seeing each other, she was going to play Goodman. I was going to play Stepan. What's been in your very, like, as far as highlights, as far as plays, I mean, I saw you in Long Days, and I remember you telling me afterwards how important that play was to your dad. And that's an interesting connection because Philip Seymour Hoffman had played the same part. Um, so from my perception, that seemed like, you know, as a young actor working on that play and then watching somebody I know do it on Broadway, that seemed like that would be a highlight. Um, but I don't know. What are some, what? You should play Jamie at some point. Oh, I'd love to play Jamie. Yeah, you'd fucking kill that, man. Um, what, are, what, are, what would you say, like, if you could pick the moment that you were like, it all sort of felt right in your career? Bug. Bug, uh, Bug right. And this play I did, uh, Mistakes Were Made. I love doing that play. Yes, Mistakes Were Made. I never saw that, but I was reading about it. You did it at a Red Orchid, and you did it here in New York. And Dexter directed that, too. Yeah, he did, yeah. I love working. Dexter directed Bug, too. I love working with Dexter. Oh, Dexter directed Bug. Yeah, Dexter Bullitt is a Chicago director. Great guy, great director, and 
get and uh and he does a lot of improv too he used to work at second city a lot you know yeah i know he he directed my uh the the company i was with for a while uh blue co mm -hmm. and it was so exciting to get to work with him yeah uh because he's fucking cool yeah and he's smart and he's he he's and he's really fun to work with yeah at least that was my experience um, what would you say were what 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 do you think has been the the toughest moment for you as an actor? What would you say was the most challenging thing? Well, some of those long like doing Killer Joe a really long time. Yeah, Sometimes that was a raw rock and roll play. Yeah, well, when we were doing it in Evanston, we only did it three times a week. You know, we did which we did like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three shows a week. That's one of the reasons it ran such a long time is because it was a really tiny theater and we did so few performances. Right. But then you start, I think when I started doing eight shows a week and wrapping your head around like doing two shows in a day, like, yeah, because I always said, well, you go, you're supposed to go out and leave it all on the dance floor. But I'm like, right. how do you do that twice a day? Um, that's a great um, thing for a young actor or, or somebody starting out in the theater to hear. How do you do that? Like, what is the what is the mindset? You go you go do a show Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You put it all out there. You kick ass. It's great. And then suddenly you have to do it twice a day. How do you adjust that mindset? How do you what do you do? Well, you just have to get tougher, you know? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I do it this way. A lot of people, like, the whole idea of eating between shows just freaked me out. Like, I, I, it didn't make any sense to me. Like, I can't walk out on stage with, like, a hamburger in my stomach. I don't, I don't know how to do that. Um, right. But then on the other hand, if you don't eat, then uh, you, your body has no fuel. So, I, I don't know. You find, like... I'd eat like a bag of almonds and right. lie down on the floor for 20 minutes. You know, just weird little. I used music a lot, to be honest. Uh, when I was doing those big runs, I just listened to music constantly on my, my headphones. This is a bad one. I had a CD Walkman player. I don't even know if you can buy those anymore. But uh, yeah, and. Uh, but you get you get tougher. I mean, that's the thing. You get stronger. There's things that the first time you do it, you're like, "Oh, this is impossible," mm -hmm. and then the hundredth time you do it, it's no big deal. You just get used to it. It was just a real shock. It was like, you you still. My, I guess my answer to the question is, you still leave everything out there, right? And then, and then you try and get whatever energy you can in the amount of time you have to get it, and and then you go out and leave it all out there again. You don't. But then some people, some people, they're like, oh, I don't, for the Sunday matinee, I don't go out there and give it my all. You know, I kind of, yeah, go through the motions or whatever. But I've just, I've never been able, I've never been able to do that. I don't care You're how, on how many people are there, or what show it is. I you just, because like you said, you can't take it for granted. It's such a special thing. It really is. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a. It's church, man. Even the Talisman uh, Theater. Even the Talisman Theater in Bucktown. With the leaky ceiling. Has there ever been a part that you were just really 
overwhelmed by. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. It kind of goes back to Bug, too. Bug is a play, another play by Tracy Letts. Um, and it's also being done. It's being done now at Steppenwolf, right? They just closed. But, mm. uh, yeah, they did a revival of it. Um, and there's a movie of it with Mike and Ashley. Ashley Judd. Judd, right. Harry Connick Jr., Lynn Collins, Brian O'Byrne. Yeah. So Bug was, that, that was a, that is like a, that's a play about addiction and. Paranoia. Paranoia. Ultimately, it's a love story. It's really. Yeah. It's a love story. How close can two people get without destroying one another? Wouldn't we all like to know? Um, yes. Yeah. That's what it's about. What was it like seeing the a new cast take it on? You're at that point right now. Where I did not get to see Bug at Steppenwolf, which I oh, you did regret. Not, no. And I, I had two opportunities because they did it before COVID and then they just did it again because uh, the COVID interrupted the run. I guess, but uh, I did not get an opportunity right. to see it. I have not seen, I have not, I have not watched Bug ever. I haven't watched anybody else to be Bug. I've watched other people do Killer Joe, and yeah. frankly, I did Killer Joe like twice as many times as Bug. So you'd think I'd be more attached to that, but for some reason, I don't know, Peter. Um, that's just that's just the most intimate I've ever been with the character that I played. If that doesn't sound yeah. too creepy or weird, uh, but it's it's not. Yeah, being Peter Evans is not. Um, and when that was a that was a situation like of doing eight shows of Bug a week, and you yeah. get to the Sunday night show and you're kind of in the fetal position and you're like, I can't I can't do it again. And you know, the producer's like, Well, we're sold out, so figure something out. I'm like, Okay, you just go out and do it. There's something to be said from working from a place of exhaustion. Uh, yeah, people think seem to believe that. That's when you you you, you can't overthink things because you're you're just too tired. It's just what comes out is what needs to come out in order to tell the story. I guess. Yeah, I can only imagine how fucking exhausting that was. <laughs> <sighs> um. Well, you've done so many things, Iceman. Boardwalk Empire Iceman, you played a New York gangster. Mm. He was a Jersey cat, actually. He was from Jersey. He was a hitman. He was he was Polish, so that meant he could uh, he couldn't be he couldn't be made in any of the families because he wasn't Italian. So that it kind of right. meant that he could work for all of them, which he did. He would go around kind of killing. Uh, he was a gun for hire. He killed a, a lot of people. It's hard to say exactly how many. So when you do a part like that, do you, the guy's in jail. Did, did, did you meet the guy? You know, he was dead by the time. Um, oh. But they made a, they interviewed him for HBO. Um, yeah, and, uh, I remember. They made a big uh, series about it. And um, I got the unedited version of the interviews. So I had hours and hours of interviews to watch, which was. Wow extraordinarily uh helpful we shot that movie in shreveport louisiana god forbid um so there really wasn't much else to do except work or sit in this house and 
watch his interviews. You worked with Werner Herzog on one of my favorite. I love Bad Lieutenant. Uh, call. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I and Nick Cage. Yeah, that. Nick Cage, man. He was rock, <laughs> he was rock and rolling in that thing, man. He seems very improvisational. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a beautiful energy running through him, man. It's, yeah, it's man. Cosmic. Oh, so you work with Werner on oh uh what was it? Mother, father, father, where are you? My son, my son, what have you done? My son, my son, what have you done? And we that also made like a... some uh, movie called Salt and Fire that I think perhaps three three people have seen. Maybe. Um, yes, so I've done three films with Werner. Yeah. Uh, that seems like a, that would be a relationship that w made, when I heard about it, it seemed to make perfect sense in my head. I love that guy. I mean, he's one of the most fascinating people I've ever met in my life. Um, I, I adore him. He may not be my absolute, uh, you know, I, he, he's sometimes a little difficult to, to work with, but he, but just being with him and being around mm -hmm. him and he's very wise and he's so intelligent and well-read and he's just, his mind is, um, beautiful. Yeah. Hey Mike, what would you say to, if somebody walked up to you and said, I want to take an acting class or I want to be an actor. I want to be in the business. What, what, what would you say to that person? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you think acting classes are bullshit. Um, no, I don't think classes are bullshit. I don't think it, no, that happens to me. People, people do that. I, I, I'm usually, sure I, I usually say, I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't want to do it the way I did it. So I don't know what to tell you, which is, I don't know. <laughs> The slow, the slow way, the way where you do Clarence Darrow and Hell at the Talisman Theater, yeah. and, you, and you play the river, and you slide around on the floor while you're standing there pretending to row down the river, and then the toilet from upstairs leaks onto the floor, so you're like writhing around in someone else's urine on the floor of a black box theater in Bucktown. Yeah, I, I look yeah. at that person. And I say, I don't think you want to do that. I think I you're. Could, I think you have dipped something different in mind. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, that kind of stuff. You were the you were the guy who was being executed in the electric chair. In the electric chair, in Clarence Darrow in hell. Yeah, those were the days, my friend. We should bring that play back. Um, you'll play. I'll play. Uh, I'll play. You be Dante, and I'll, I'll play Dante, and you'll be uh, Clarence Darrow. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, thank you so much for doing this, Mike. No problem, bro. Um, look forward to seeing you improvise. I look forward to seeing everything you do, but um, hopefully, you and Dave will will play again soon. Yes, and uh, keep inspiring people. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate it. Well, that's it, everybody. That's the podcast. That's my chat with actor Michael Shannon. And uh, once again, I am Pat McCartney in New York City. If you like the podcast, you can follow us directly at Centralia Improv on Anchor FM. We're also on Instagram at Centralia Improv. And we've got a Twitter account. So please like, follow, and we'll keep giving you the best podcast we can possibly give you. Have a nice rest of your day. <laughs>